Hello, and welcome to your next episode of Fixing Fitness with Kelly, the show that serves up real talk about fitness with a focus on why traditional fitspo just doesn't serve women in their 30s. Let's talk about what we can really do to get results that make all the effort worth it. Get more on the website at kellymarieroach.com, including exclusive access to my head-to-toe mobility routine when you download my free guide to the five worst exercise cues in the fitness industry. And tune into the Kelly M. Roach YouTube channel for weekly videos offering fresh perspectives on fixing fitness topics. Hello, everybody. Welcome back for Season 2, Episode 9 of the Fixing Fitness with Kelly podcast. So today's episode is going to require just a quick trigger warning, um, as I'm sure you've recognized by clicking on the episode that we're talking about diet culture today and kind of what that term has come to mean, what's going on with the pushback against diet culture, um, different elements of it, what it entails, and how that overlaps with achievement of genuine health and fitness goals. So if you are somebody who these topics are triggering for, I might skip this episode and go check out one of the other ones. That being said, the reason that I was inspired to write this post today was I came across a podcaster's Instagram. Um, She's somebody that I actually like. She's actually a finance podcaster. And she was making a comparison between having sort of like a financial coach, somebody to hold you accountable for your financial decisions, and having a trainer or nutritionist who's going to hold you accountable for your health and fitness decisions. And how her experience with her trainer and nutrition coach had her tracking everything that she ate, reporting in on her workouts and the things that she ate, and how having them overseeing everything that she was doing was really the sole motivator for sticking with her plan until she kind of got over the hump and was willing to stick to it without needing that accountability, that person looking over her shoulder, making sure that she was doing what she said she was going to do. And I kind of had a cringe moment while I was listening to it because that obsessive food tracking, that need for almost like an external shaming factor if you aren't doing the things that you say you're going to do if you're not showing up for yourself and your health and fitness. Um, I've been seeing a lot of things lately pushing back against that mindset, pushing back against the the way that hyper-tracking your food and getting really into the weeds with things like that can actually create all of these issues with disordered eating and it can sort of upset your relationship with food. And then, of course, the element of, you know, sort of, like I said, that public shaming, if you will, or even just that um, embarrassment, I think was the word she used. She was embarrassed about uh, having to record like a cinnamon roll as her lunch and give that back to her nutritionist. And I feel like if you're using embarrassment and like words like this in relation to your health and fitness, it just didn't sit well with me. So I decided to do a deeper dive on this overarching pushback against diet culture. And then, as I said, look at where it overlaps with achieving health and fitness goals. Um, So that's the premise for today's episode, just to give you a heads up and let you decide for yourself whether or not this is one you want to tune into. So that said, here we go, season two, episode nine. I have seen an uptick in accounts run by millennials that are pushing back against diet culture. Google defines diet culture as the social expectations that value thinness and appearance above all else. Most of these accounts are calling out the harm that diet culture has done to our relationships with food and the way that we see ourselves and our bodies. 
Many of them are working to undermine some of the long-standing rules and advice about food and nutrition, and they do this in a variety of ways. Some explain the science behind how our bodies use calories for energy and claim that where we get those calories doesn't actually matter. Some make the accusation that it's unnecessary and even privileged to believe that whole foods are a better source of nutrition than processed foods, going so far as to say that technically speaking, all foods are processed. Still others fight back against the idea that you have to look a certain way to claim that you are fit. Whether you agree with these accounts or not, the overarching message is to let go of all the rules, restrictions, and preconceived notions you have about food and fitness because it's likely that those notions are rooted in diet culture, not in knowledge that actually supports your health and well-being. From my perspective, there are a lot of these accounts that are getting it right particularly when it comes to healing one's relationship with food to put a stop to some of the disordered habits and behaviors that so many people have been engaging in since they were teenagers. I've mentioned some of these on this podcast before, but to offer a few examples, this can look like sneaking food when no one else is home, eating takeout in your car and throwing away the evidence so no one knows, feeling out of control with foods that you typically refuse to let yourself have, and more. Now, the widely accepted premise is that diet culture leads to behaviors like these because we've been so focused on being thin for so long that we're completely out of touch with how to use and enjoy food. And things like committing to diets and food tracking are often blamed for disordered eating habits as well. When you obsessively track your food for an extended period of time, it can have a harmful effect on your relationship with food so that when you stop tracking, you don't know what or how to eat anymore. Or maybe there are foods you would never eat while you're tracking because you don't want to write them down or report them to a nutrition coach, but as soon as you have the opportunity to sneak a bite, you seize it. This can lead to feeling out of control with those so-called treat foods so that casually enjoying a cupcake becomes sneak eating half a dozen of them. Obviously, there is nothing good about this. And in a perfect world, we would all have a healthy enough relationship with our diets that we eat foods that nourish our bodies and our minds by enjoying all of the things food has to offer besides basic nutrition, social enjoyment, comfort, flavor, and more. And I think it's worth noting here that our seeming inability to attain this goes beyond diet culture. Our lifestyles often push good nutrition to the wayside. We live in a go-go-go society that unfortunately rewards those who put work above all else, usually to the detriment of their own health and well-being. Eating lunch out five days a week and pizza night Fridays because you're too tired to cook is a common menu for the American 9-to-5-er. Trying to prepare a meal for a family and giving in to the pickiest eater of the bunch because it's easier than preparing multiple meals. Half-hour working lunches so as to maintain a schedule and ignore the needs of the body. Skipping meals to squeeze in more work. Our society does all of these things without batting an eye. Somehow we've gotten to a point where any of these things would be considered normal. Between socially accepted behaviors around food and nutrition and the disordered habits brought on by diet culture, it's completely understandable that there's been a rise in backlash against it. The new and much friendlier message is that you can be fit and healthy without being perfect, and it expands the image of what fit looks like. And for the record, I tend to agree with most of this. And yet it's undeniable that to achieve a certain level of fitness or a particular fitness goal, 
Tracking what you're eating and understanding the effects of different foods on your body is essential. You can't intuitively eat your way to peak athleticism or fuel muscle growth on what you feel like you should be eating that day or even achieve healthy fat loss without creating a caloric deficit. And I don't think the point is to vilify doing any of those things. Or is it? One of the messages in the pushback against diet culture, sometimes subliminal, sometimes spoken outright, is that our collective image of fit can only be achieved through disordered eating habits, or at the very least, behaviors that lead to disordered relationships with food. If we accept that as true, then any path you take to achieve a fit image is coming under fire, whether it's driven only by vanity, or if you have a larger athletic goal in mind, the insinuation is that it's a bad goal because it's inherently impossible to achieve without engaging in harmful habits. But let's go back to how diet culture is actually defined. Diet culture is the social expectation that thinness and appearance are valued above all else. So anything that you're doing solely for the sake of living up to the social expectation that you should want to be thin and beautiful is probably bad. If you've decided to become a marathon runner because it will make you thin, or enter a bikini competition because it will make you thin, or start lifting weights because you think it will make you thin, then you're setting yourself up to double down on the diet culture that's already ingrained in you. But if you decide to become a marathon runner to improve your cardiovascular health and endurance training, or enter a bikini competition because you enjoy both weightlifting and pageantry, or start lifting weights to wake up your muscles and improve the health of your bones and joints, it might still be that the outcome is you look more fit. But that becomes a byproduct of your primary goal. Since you aren't setting out to get skinnier, it won't be the end of the world when you eat a cupcake or order a latte. Whereas if you're doing any of these things with your entire focus on getting skinnier, chances are good that you're not improving your running or weightlifting skills and you're using those things to punish yourself for what you eat. And the unfortunate truth is that many people are predisposed to that mentality and the fitness industry takes advantage of that in its marketing. It's far less common to find coaches or companies promoting muscle growth, improved athletic performance, or fat loss for health's sake than it is to find an influencer promising to help you achieve your dream body. What does that even mean? Note that it's never defined. It's relying entirely on the notion that diet culture has done their work for them and gotten their entire audience seeking a thin physique. Any platitude like achieve your fitness goals or achieve your dream body is preying on women's lifelong quest to be thin, a quest that diet culture has made them believe they should be on. You see these accounts all the time. Hundreds of thousands of people following an influencer who herself has built an empire in her own pursuit of diet culture's image of fit. Now, at the opposite end of the spectrum are the accounts that do have something else to offer. I mentioned earlier this season that there's been a tremendous uptick in the mobility trends with accounts that set out to educate about mobility, flexibility, and the concept of primal movement. 
The people behind these accounts are often just as, if not more fit, than the diet culture-based ones, and yet quite often they are so advanced as to be seemingly unattainable. I saw one account like this where the audience was commenting about the discrepancy between the page owner's abilities and the abilities of his followers. And the page owner's response was that what he was posting was a, quote, mobility flex. And if people wanted to be able to do that, then they should pay to work with him. And there are dozens of examples of this where the account owner is posting more for entertainment than education. They may be mobility coaches, physical therapists, what have you, but most of them are also former gymnasts, dancers, or athletes. So the net result is no different than our flexor from the previous example. Their videos are really fun to watch, but I personally don't feel motivated. There's far too big a gap between what I'm capable of and what they're showing me. Sure, I want to improve my mobility and my range of motion, but my goal isn't to do lat-hold air walks or complicated so-called mobility flows. I just want my body to feel better. So my point in bringing all this up is that I've rarely come across an account run by someone who has a stereotypical fit physique that they've achieved in pursuit of a healthy goal that feels relatable or attainable by the average nine to fiver. So it's no wonder that the diet culture influencers are winning. So my best advice on this is to be aware of diet culture, especially where its influence is having an insidious impact on your choice of who to follow and what goals to set. Ask yourself why. Why do I have this goal for myself? Why do I purchase her programs? Why do I follow this person? If the answer at its core is always to be thin or because she's thin, then pull back. Unfollow people who trigger those thoughts until you've healed your relationship with your body and your health and fitness goals are truly about health and fitness, not getting skinny. Now, lest I sound like a hypocrite, I want to address my own online fitness space called the Diamond Mine and the brand tagline of Get Cut, Be Radiant. Because on its surface, I realize it 100% sounds like I'm doing the dirty work of the influencers I've called out in this episode. So let me explain myself. Most people don't know that I am a certified diamondologist. I got my certification from the DCA while I worked selling fine jewelry in my early 20s. I love diamonds natural, man-made, it doesn't matter to me as long as they are responsibly sourced and they are clear, beautifully cut, and they sparkle. Diamonds are cut from what usually looks like a rough, cloudy lump of stone. Then the skill involved in cutting a diamond is truly extraordinary. The idea that these craftsmen and women take something that most of us wouldn't even pick up if we passed it on the sidewalk and cut away all of the cloudiness and murkiness to leave you with something radiant that will last literally forever has captivated me from the first. So while I realize that getting cut is often synonymous in the fitness industry with lose weight and build muscle, I view it very differently. Getting cut like a diamond means polishing the very best of you so you can shine radiantly in every aspect of your life. It means bringing forth the very best of what your body has to offer and polishing it up. Training with me means cutting away the murky, confusing garbage that the fitness industry spits out and getting to the good stuff. The stuff that fixes your posture, reawakens your muscles, and improves your mobility so your body feels like a treasure again. 
And yes, if looking more stereotypically fit is a byproduct of doing those things, that's great. But at the Diamond Mine, it's not the primary goal. You can check out the Diamond Mine at members.kellymarieroach.com. Let's take back the space in the fitness industry between diet culture and extreme athleticism. Our bodies are our most valuable possession, and we should all be able to find support in achieving real health and fitness goals. So thank you for listening. I hope that today's episode cleared up some things for you about what diet culture really means and the fact that the overlap with fitness and health goals is really about what is your goal because it has become ubiquitous for a fitness goal to just mean getting skinny. And I don't think that there is enough space in the online fitness influencer industry where we are trying to pull away from that, actively trying to focus on genuine fitness, conditioning, strength, health goals. And instead, we just use those words as masks or monikers for get skinnier. And I think it's terrible. And I push back against that just as hard as all of these other um, account holders are pushing back against diet culture. And it's very tricky business because it's so deeply ingrained in us. And it has been for 20 or more years. If you are someone who, like me, is in your late 30s trying to figure out fitness, a big part of the reason that we haven't figured out fitness is that we've been fed diets and ways to be skinny under the guise of getting fit. And I want to use this space on the podcast, in the members space at the Diamond Mine, on the blog, and everywhere that I'm posting to get away from that mindset, from that mentality. I want you to be taking care of and healing your bodies and setting yourself goals for strength and longevity and true fitness and getting away from the mindset that you have to be thin or look a certain way to be fit. So thank you so much for tuning in. We have one more episode coming next week in season two before we're going to have a break between seasons two and three. Thank you so much for listening. If you could subscribe or leave a review on the podcast, that would really help us grow the community. Head on over to Instagram. You can find me at kellym.roach for more goodies and online workouts, et cetera, there that I give away for free. And I will see you guys very soon. So enjoy your week, stay fit, and I'll see you soon. Bye-bye.